0: Um, so the the seed that we give once you've emptied yourself of yourself is the journey to the sun. The sun itself is a um, symbol of your own soul, your own higher self, of the heart centre itself which you're entering into, the heart and the head which is the higher version of the sun. So you go from the heart centre to the heart and the head and that awakens a whole tall petal lotus and above that is your soul, and above that is the monadic or spirit aspect of you, and that is an integral part of, of the kingdom of souls, an integral part of the hierarchy of light, which is another sun, and then that which is an integral part of Shambhala, um, of which the hierarchy of the light is the heart and the head of. So the sun is a, an appropriate symbol to enter into. And of course physically it's the source of all life and love on this planet. Without the sun there's no life. That's what we eat when we eat food. It's It all starts with captured sunlight. That's what plants do. They capture the sunlight, turn them into protein, stored in starches, um, capture into vitamins which is this pure stored sunlight. That's the difference incidentally between um, vitamins that are derived from plants and The vitamins are made out of chemicals, uh, test tubes. One is pure sunlight. The other is a coal tar derivative that uh, has got no life in it. It's a skeleton. It's dead. So if you're going to take vitamins, please take the the um, sun-enriched source, not the skeleton, the corpse. Journey to the sun. The beginning of this journey, after you've calmed your mind, the Om has had its sound, it's pervaded space, the space of your mind. There's nothing there but this meditation. Your body is relaxed and you see a deep indigo blue ocean of as vast as the eye can see. Every which way you look is this indigo blue. Why indigo blue? Because this is love, pure love. Cosmic love. And if you get absorbed in this properly and experience it, you'll experience the very heartbeat of cosmos. All sentiency, all consciousness is absorbed into it. Pure love. Wonderful experience. Exquisite. Anyway, you're sailing on this. Some people find that this particular ocean is quite choppy. It's, It's indicative of the state of their emotions. They haven't controlled them. It's OK. Some people have, um, uh, find themselves actually underneath the ocean because that's where they are emotionally. It's OK. The visions, the visualisations, it's part of the process of getting there. And then, on this Indigo Blue Ocean, you find yourself in some vehicle, some boat, getting to the sun. And as you're travelling towards the sun, there on the horizon, um, far in the distance is a sun that's starting to appear and getting larger and larger and you're getting closer and closer until you get and see it's warm when you get right up to the sun a door appears in the center and you enter into it and inside the sun certain things happen you record what's happened to you what you've experienced beings may come to teach you something you might find something symbolic um some symbolic teachings, maybe nothing will happen at all. I've seen people go into one sun and then sort of there's another sun appear for them to go into. I've seen um, um, students get to the sun, for instance, surfing. One of my surfing friends got into the sun on a surfboard, that's okay. Others sort of um, find themselves in magnificent sort of um, dragon ships flying over the ocean to the sun. Others in rowing boats, busy sort of rowing there. Dragons, sort of, um, you know, sort of um, galleons and um, whatever. It's these are mechanisms, the symbolism of how to get there, and they do tell me something about where that person is at and sometimes their spiritual age. But um, <coughs> so you've experienced what's in the sun, and then you know internally the meditation is over. You say an you come out of your meditation, and then you record what you've experienced. If you're doing a group meditation, then you explain it to the group. We don't hold our meditations sacred to ourselves. As a matter of fact, there's often someone in the group that can explain to you or help you to explain what's happened. Um, meditation is group meditation. Um, there's no such thing as the I to me, and therefore um, you're traveling with a group. Ultimately, you'll find that the sun um, journey to the sun is also something that is travelled by all the members of your group. There's group meditation, group evolution, group initiation as well as individual initiation. And um, somebody like me is looking at group um, initiation just as much as I'm looking at the initiation of individuals. Now, the whole object of this, this exercise, is not just to make you feel good or to give you a wonderful experience, but actually, we're trying to connect you with the masters of wisdom, with the hierarchy of light. So doing it once is not going to do much. You actually have to do it continuously for quite a while, learn to listen to what they say, and learn about them. As, which is the main reason why I've given this information in my um, way to meditation, this um, um, way to Shambhala book. And early on in my second volume of the Revelation. Most essential stuff. So all of our teachings relate to you learning about yourself. To give you knowledge about where you've come from. How you stand on the inner realms. What you're doing on this planet. Where you're going to in the future. And so this particular journey to the sun, you can do it. Somebody else can give you the teachings, but if they can't follow it up, it's really not that important and so eventually um, you'll learn about hierarchy you'll learn about the masters of wisdom, you'll begin to understand um, which one of the masters um, you have the closest affinity to, they'll telepathically instruct you from then onwards you no longer think in terms of you as an individual um, in command of your life you are a son or a child or daughter of the Master and he is directing you what needs to be done in terms of the field of service. You have found your Guru, your Lord and you don't need to go any further in your spiritual quest. You've come home. You're part of his ashram. You've been travelling with this group, with this ashram and involving short sure, for... Um, Generations of lives. You're going somewhere in cosmos and you're being directed there. So you become a vehicle of service. It's all got to do with how to better help humanity. And the master of wisdom is not going to be interested in you if you're fundamentally fundamentally only interested in yourself. Your petty concerns, your selfishness, um, your environment, how to get a better job. These are not concerns of a master. It's how you can be trained to help humanity, how you can be trained to serve your group. And only because you've got a capacity to help humanity, only because you've got a capacity to serve the group, will a master of wisdom or a great diva or any other inner plane entity other than the dark brotherhood um, interrelate with you and take the time to educate you. And every meditation experience you get is not because so much of what you're doing, because all that you're doing is manifesting conditions that allow you to journey to the sun, that allow those images, those visuals that are coming into your mind to be seated there. It's not you doing it, it's they coming into your mind because there's some entity projecting them there. You have emptied your mind and you're standing there Emptied of all thoughts. You sow the seed um, meditation, um, getting into the sun. And you're not even capable of, um, of um, sowing which way you get there. Whether it's on a surfboard, whether you're swimming, whether you're on a tugboat, whether you're on a, a golden dragon ship, or whether you just find yourself flying through, or whether you find yourself in it immediately. That's also given to you. You understand? Um, so, from then onwards, you're guided. And the masters of wisdom will look at you, look over you, give you what you need, give you the symbols that you have to learn through. And eventually, when you are ready, when you're actually sort of really ready, they'll start communicating with you, telepathically awakening your heart, sending energies into you, blessing you, interrelating you with your brothers and sisters. Um, encouraging you and so forth to do the service work you've come to do. And then, um, once you start this meditation properly, then you get the next phase, where you start battling the um, effects of your past misdeeds in the world of meditation, in the world of yoga, in the world of um, magic, in the world of being a witch or all the other things that you were doing to manipulate other people and then you've got the whole dark hierarchy that you uh, associated with then um, we can go all the way back to uh, atlantis or the moon or wherever you have evolved from to do these nefarious crimes against humanity you've still got to fix up that karma and this is psychic karma you've got to start zapping and battling and um Improving um, your way in this world until you're free from all the dark forces. And if you read the story of Buddha, um, what do you think the hordes of Mara that afflicted him so viciously before he gained enlightenment was all about? He went through it and had to suffer it, likewise with Jesus and the temptations in the desert, etc. And you've got to do it as well. Your version of what he wanted. And he was um, quite um, much more advanced spiritually than any of us. So, everyone has got this psychic, the karma of the psychic misdeeds to fix up. So, you've got the physiological sicknesses, your psychological ailments coming to the surface, and then you've got your psychic sicknesses, the karma of your psychic misdeeds. Um, when you may have been an inquisitor, for instance, I've had students, and I still have. Um, that were part of Hitler's group, yeah. so they got that type of karma, that type of illogic to cleanse out of their system they 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 they're not happy with this type of um, karma, but that's it that's what you did. You may have find yourself in the Roman Empire um busy sort of um cheering at the mob that um, at that um that the gladiator had just killed um, 20 Christians. And totally associating the fact that that blood sport was very good for you, part of the mob that you're part of, you understand? Of course, there's a whole lot of wars that all of us have fought in. You know, the last time I was a soldier was in the Roman era. Um, you know, I can quite clearly remember the Armai war Um, I suppose I was lucky I sort of actually sort of evolved upon become an emperor of that particular civilization but uh, um, what I'm trying to get to is that that type of karma is there and as you awaken to our world your karma is slowly revealed to you because you've got to cleanse it you've got the good karma that makes you a meditator, makes you an enlightened being, that that brings you into a group such as this, that um, makes you feel lots of love and warmth for humanity, that um, gives you your um, privileged position in a Western society. Imagine if you had the bad karma of of being born here in India and and on the streets somewhere in some hovel. um, That's a different type of karma altogether. And um, maybe next life some of you could be born like that to suffer um, the um, excesses of this life. But we all have good karma because here we are in Western Buddies. Basically, you can sit here, you can pay a whole pile, of, you know, what, um, what is uh, you know one or two years' worth of income for most of these people here in India and just to come here and listen to me talk to you. Wonderfully good karma, yes um, in um, sort of extravagant Western societies which um, you yeah, know, we've, we've done good deeds to be born in societies like that in past lives we've got good, we've done good de- de- good deeds to be able to have this type of luxurious surroundings that we have around us, yes, good karma but there's other lives where um, we didn't do those good deeds. And so both the good and the bad is looked at honestly. And um, all resources that we have then are used in order to help humanity one way or other, according to the Master's instructions. So we humble ourselves by listening to the Master, the Master that's speaking to us. That's the Guru. Later on, you bow before the Lord of the world. Um, will take her off to even higher places as you gain your initiation, partial initiation testings. There's a whole cosmos out there. Dragons come to befriend you. Um, you can fly on pegasus. I mean, Alia certainly has experienced that. She knows what dragons look like. Um, she knows how to draw them if she needed to. And, of course, we enter in a world of the Diva Kingdom. Um, you know, the fairies, the... the um, the dryads, the salamanders, the cloud spirits, the the great archangels, um, the lords of the sacred places, the UFO people that come in great numbers to um, this planet for certain reason. Um, You uh, become in contact with all of that because that's the world you're entering into. And you begin to see the place, the relatively small place your physical life has. And all of your answers, your ignorance starts to leave you because all the questions you had in life can be answered and will be answered. Not necessarily some sort of um, great being giving you the whole story because most most of us actually want you to dig it out for yourself. We'll give you the hints. I will say, there's the book, read those um, pages or, or here, do these exercises or here, learn our numerology or something like that. You've got a lot of reading to do as well as your meditation, because we expect you to overcome ignorance, all forms of ignorance. Ignorance about what's happening upon this planet, ignorance about yourself, ignorance about past lives, um, ignorance uh, about the various religions and the various religious paths you've been following up to date. You've often mistaken some of the junior members of of hierarchy as, as great enlightened beings when they're just babies, and so forth. So we open your eyes. And it takes time. One decade, two decades, three decades go. Um, It it takes quite a bit of time to get rid of these levels and layers of ignorance. To teach you how to be truly loving. Most people think love is emotions of one form or the other. Like um, emotional identification of this or that, it makes them feel good. But the concept of emotional identification, the concept of feeling good about what you do or or what's happening to you, it's got nothing to do with love. Love is clear, cold reason. Um, When you love, you are perfectly logical. You don't have any attachments as to what you do. You see the effect of it. You've worked it out and you give accordingly. It's a serene, um, magnanimous, spontaneous expression of giving backed with pure wisdom, pure knowledge. You can understand the difference between uh, the serene basis of your, your whole heart, um, the tranquility that it is, and affection, or loving sort of responses. You can't have this type of warmth and serenity. Serenity is just simply absolute calm. No attachment, but love is magnanimous, it's the universe integrating all into one that's a difficult concept Um, but you begin to learn more and more these esoteric concepts these more abstracted concepts as you transcend what you regard as uh, your humanity and you become divine you have to think like God like the deity that created all this is and uh, such a being has long, long vanquished or evolved past the human form. You can look at a Buddha, um, Gautama, and try to understand what what his enlightenment was all about. Certainly there's not any concept of attachment there to forms, to transience, to ephemerality, much more. So it's this world of enlightenment that you're entering into, by Learning to listen to the guru, the external guru, and myself, um, and give you a teaching of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, so all three are the guru. So it's not a matter just of some practicing once and forgetting about it. It actually, then, you actually have to manifest a ritual of daily practice. And we, as a as a whole, for instance, in Australia, we have a group meditation once a week. But in the end. Your whole life is a meditation. Everything you do is a meditation. You don't do things without being meditatively involved. And then this is the same as sitting in a forest or a cave. Except that we're using this environment around us as our vehicle for enlightenment. It's all transient. It's got its purpose. We live out that purpose. We get on to our next life and so forth. Eventually you build ships of the air, arcs of plenitude and you sail out of this earth system to cosmos. You'll learn all the divine mathematics to do so. Imagine how vast cosmos is. Billions upon billions of stars making one galaxy and billions upon billions upon billions of galaxies making a universe. And each star is um, filled with life forms such as we are. And the divas and astral forms, and there's more stars disincarnate, more galaxies disincarnate and incarnate, more universes disincarnate and incarnate. And you're learning something about that. You're entering into that consciousness, that cosmos in meditation far faster than anyone can imagine. We had a sort of communication, where Jennifer had one from a spaceship captain. Um, who is something like a seventh degree initiate and he starts like this so i am told by um one of the elders and he's giving some law the law of karma that um the law of sacrifice that we must sacrifice in order to progress and it's a long ago before evolved evolves forms such as we are now his civilization is myriads times more advanced than ours so i'm told And thus it is.